Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. What I want to do is that I just want to read the Christmas story to you. Because here's what I found out. It is entirely possible, and I know this from personal experience, as a pastor, it is entirely possible to get caught up in the, in the busyness of the season and get on the other side of Christmas and sit down and think, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't think I ever read the Christmas story. Throughout the whole month went by, you know, the whole season we were shopping, you know, we saw the nativity scenes out, you know, in people's lawns and places, and, but I never heard it. I never sat down and kind of took a moment to just soak in the story. And so what I want to do today is I just want to kind of do a mashup of the, of the birth stories of Jesus between Matthew and Luke. I kind of want to just put them together because Matthew and Luke are the only two who really gives us insight into the birth of Jesus. Mark Mark starts the Gospel of Mark by just jumping straight in, the adult Jesus. It's like, here's the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. He's a man, bam, and he's like healing people. And so Mark gives you no, like nothing about the beginning. And John, we've been talking about John the last few weeks. John doesn't start with what happened. Like he, we know he probably, he, he, we know he definitely knew what happened because he took care of Mary after Jesus uh, ascended into heaven. So we know he knew what happened, but he didn't start with what, he started with why. In fact, John says stuff like this in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, uh, he says this, he said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's like he's saying, look, Right here at the very beginning, I need to let everybody know exactly what was going on. I've got to let everybody know the why behind the what. What you need to know, the why, is that the Word, God, it, God became flesh. God put skin on. He said, so he's like, right up front, if you don't finish this, this book, if you don't finish this writing, maybe you get halfway through and stop. I need you to know, first thing first. This person I am writing about is more than a person. This person is God with skin on who camped out with us. He like he, he lived here and he, he dwelled among us. And he goes on and in verse 9 of chapter 1. He says this. He says, the true light. Again, he's talking about Jesus. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He says, he says in other words, he says, man, on that first Christmas morning, God gave a gift to everyone. He gave the light who was life, and he came to light up our lives, to show us what was hiding out in the dark places of our heart and our lives. In fact, John talking about the why, not, not so much about the why of Christmas, he gets really personal. He gets really personal. Look what he says in John chapter 1, verse 12. He says this, he says, yet to all and that, that word all there is a, is a real kind of nuanced Greek word. Uh, it's, it's kind of complicated to communicate its meaning. It means all. <laughs> it means everyone. That was a joke. <laughs> there we go. It means everyone. Like, yet to all. Everyone. That includes you. That includes your mother-in-law who you may or may not like. That includes your, your brother or sister that you got to spend time with this Christmas and you're frustrated with them because they never make anything of themselves and they're just like a freeloader. That includes your cousin who won't stop talking and you can't get away from her in the kitchen at Christmas time and she just talks, 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 talks and you're like, I wish you would just hush for a second. That includes her. That includes the annoying person who pops their gum beside you at work. Like all, all means all. He says, yet to all who 
receive him. Now, how do you receive a person? Like, how do you receive especially a baby, right? Like, how do you receive a baby in a manger? But he says, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name. And that word believe. Now, now John does something real interesting. This, this phrase believed in. It never appeared before in the Greek language. These two words had never been put together. Because when people talked about believe, typically they said, whoever believes that. Like, whoever believes this statement of, of, of truth. But John doesn't say that. John says, whoever believes in. Whoever believes in. It's, it's like saying, whoever trusts. Whoever trusts in. The, the idea is like... Um, when you're a kid and you're climbing a tree and you get to a branch, if you're willing to walk out on that branch because you know that branch can hold your weight. That's the idea John's getting at. He's like, whoever has trusted in him, whoever has, whoever has put their weight on Jesus because they believe that he can hold up their life. He says to those people, he gave the right to become children of God. He says, he says this isn't... What I'm telling you, what happened, the why, it's not just a story. It's not just a kid's story. It's not something just to, 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 to placate uh, kids while they're going to sleep. He says this is, this is incredibly personal to everyone, you and you and you, anybody who would receive him, who would trust and put their weight on him. He gave the opportunity, the right to be considered a child of God. And then just to make sure, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, just to make sure we didn't miss it. At the end, he comes back at the very end in John chapter 20, verse 31, and he says this. Look, look what he says. He says, but these are written, these words that he just written, that you may believe. Believe that. Yes, believe that. But believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that you might put your weight and trust in Jesus Christ. That you would trust him with the weight of your life, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He says, this is written so that you, well, you who, well, you, you, like all the you's in the world, all the you's, it's, it's, it's incredibly personal thing that John is saying. He's saying it's, it's written so that you and you and you you and you who didn't finish the story and you who weren't really paying attention and you who, who didn't really care and you who, whose life fell apart. It's written so that you may believe in Jesus. See, John wants us to know this thing with Jesus, the birth, the, the, the life, the, the, the death, the resurrection, this really happened. And because it really happened, we can have a personal you and you, a one-on-one relationship with God who seemed before this time to be completely unknowable, completely beyond knowledge. John says, God loved every single you in the world. Not, you know, a lot of times in church we talk about God loves everyone. Yes, God loves everyone. And, and, and that can feel a little impersonal. And so John wants us to know that God loved you. Every you. This is... This is Jesus coming into the world for every single individual. And it took John a while to discover this. Uh, John walked with Jesus for three years with the the rest of the disciples. And, um, you know, they would ask questions of Jesus like, hey, Jesus, is this the time you're finally going to set up your kingdom? Like, are you finally going to to march into Jerusalem, sit down on the throne and be like, look, I'm the king. Y'all need to bow and submit. Let's get Israel rolling. Like, Jesus, are you finally going to take out 
Rome. And, and it took John and the disciples uh, more than three years to understand that Jesus did not come as the Savior of Israel. Jesus came as the Savior of the world. They eventually finally got to the point where they realized they had been, that they had been working and operating with the wrong agenda the whole time. Which is really important because how many of us come to Jesus with our own agenda of what we want him to do in our lives? Or who we expect him to be? And here's what, you know, this has just kind of been uh, on, my, on my mind lately. Jesus did not come to start a culture war. Jesus did not come to be a political icon. Jesus did not come to be a logo for some movement. Jesus came, John makes it incredibly clear, Jesus came to be the Savior of the world, and not just of the world, but of all the yous in the world. You, you, and you, you, and you, you, and you, you, and you, you. It's not just the Savior of the world, but he's my Savior. And I think if John were here, if we could talk to him for just a second, he would say, do you believe? Do you believe in him? Do do you believe who he is? And if you don't believe, John would say, it took me a while to. Just keep seeking. Just keep asking. Like, like keep, keep watching. Because here's the thing. I saw the miracles. I was there in the boat when Peter got out and walked on the water and then he sank and then he walked again. I was there and I didn't get it then. And eventually it hit us that, that, that our problem, you see, we thought our problem was them and that and it, but our problem was us. Our biggest problem that Jesus came to, to solve and to fix was inside. We didn't get that until later. So John would say to us, if you don't believe yet, just, just keep seeking. Just keep searching. So let's get to the Christmas story. Um, Luke chapter 1. Let's, let's start with Luke. Uh, Luke does not begin the gospel of Luke by saying, you know, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. He says, he says here's what I want you to know. O Theophilus, I have researched this very carefully. In other words, he says, I want you to know that I've talked to eyewitnesses. I've talked to people who were actually there, who watched, who saw, who talked to Jesus, who talked to his mama, who interviewed, I I talked to shepherds. I I I was finding out everything I could about this story so that I could report to you exactly what happened. And so this isn't just a fairy tale. This isn't Luke saying, I just made this up. He says, no, I researched this really carefully. Then in verse 26 of chapter 1, he says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. He says the virgin's name was Mary. You see, he's giving us every detail that he could find. And I've talked to people, I've researched. Listen, they were in Nazareth, that's in Galilee, and this was a virgin, and she was, she was engaged to a dude named Joseph, and he's in the, a descendant of David, and her name's Mary. He's giving us all this detail. He's like, I'm telling you everything I know. And he keeps on going. He says, verse 28, he says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. And then check out how awesome this next statement is. He says, The Lord is with you. Man, can you imagine being Mary and the angel says, hey, the Lord is with you. That's just overwhelming. It's mind-boggling. Well, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Because here's the thing. Mary was human. Mary was like us. Anytime God or an angel shows up, we think we're in trouble. We automatically assume if God is going to take time out to talk to me, then he's going to be telling me what I've been doing wrong. 
right? He's going to bust me. It's like going, getting called to the principal's office. I'm going to have to go. I'll probably get paddled. But, but that's not what happens, right? That's, that's, that's not what happens. So look what the angel says. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. God, God hasn't called you into his office to whip you. Look what he says. He says, Mary, you have found favor with God. And I think some of us need to hear those words of the angel sometimes, right? Because we think every time God talks to us, every time we read the Bible, it's just a list of do's and don'ts. And, and you're not measuring up and you're not shaping up. and You need to do better. And I'm disappointed with you. And God's not like that. Like when we come into the presence of God, we don't have to be afraid that he's going to call us on the carpet and ruin our life and ruin our day by telling us everything that's wrong with us. The angel says, Mary, you found favor. You're not in trouble. How many times do we assume the worst about God? Like if God's going to show up, it must be because I did something wrong. And, 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 and it's like uh, Luke wants us to know, listen, Mary didn't do anything wrong. Actually, she found favor in God's eyes. That's why he came to her. Verse 31, he tells her, he says, uh, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you were to call him Jesus. Except he didn't actually say Jesus, like we would say Jesus. Because the word Jesus is actually the Latinized version of the Greek transliteration of a Hebrew name. When the angel came and told Mary, he said, you're going to name him. He didn't say Jesus. He actually said, Yehoshua. You're going to name him Yehoshua, which is the name of an Old Testament hero that we call by the name Joshua. And the name means Yehoshua, Yehoshua. Yehoshua means the Lord is salvation. Yahweh Shava, Yehoshua. The Lord is salvation. And he goes on, he says, Mary, he will be great. And he will be called the son. Mary, your son is going to be the son. The son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will will never end. Can you imagine being Mary in that moment and just, just trying to take all of that in? Why, my, my son's going to be the son and I'm supposed to name him Yehoshua because the Lord is salvation and this is God saving our people and his kingdom is never going to end. What? Let's jump to Matthew. Matthew tells us, Matthew gives us the story from a different angle. He gives us, like Luke kind of gives us the story from, from, from Mary's point of view, kind of. And, and Matthew gives us the story from Joseph's point of view. So let's pick up there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the Christmas story. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, we romanticize this. We're, we we think oh that's sweet God got a got a got a virgin girl pregnant and you know you know it wasn't you know it's just miraculous but here's the truth okay you may not you may not know how to feel about this but this was a bad day for Mary <laughs> this was a bad day when she got found out that's what that's what Matthew says uh, she was found to be pregnant she was found out she was discovered now Mary knew it was coming but it didn't make it any less awkward it didn't make it any less Scandalous, Because here's the thing, man. For Mary, this was a capital offense. She could have been executed because of this. Now, that doesn't happen in our day, and we don't really understand that. Because, because people get pregnant without being married all the time in our culture, but not in hers. In her culture, if, if she didn't get executed, she was at least outcast. Because 
Because here's the thing. Look, look, let's just go on. Verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Because engagement, it wasn't like, like when I like when we get engaged and you call it off, it's just like, hey, I need the ring back. You know, can I get can I get the ring back and my jacket back? And you can you pack up that box of stuff I left at your house and I just need to get that back and we never have to talk again. All right, we're just over. That wasn't the case. This was a legal matter for them. They had probably been promised to each other for years. As little kids, they were probably, their, their parents and families got together and, 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 and matched them up. So this was a legal binding agreement. So when it comes to, to be known that Mary is pregnant and it's not Joseph's, well, the only choice Joseph has is to divorce her. But the, the Bible says, Matthew says that, um, you know, Joseph's a good guy and he doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. But here's the deal. It was going to be public. No matter how hard Joseph worked, no matter how low he tried to keep it, it was always going to be public because there are some things that you simply cannot hide. And as all the people in the room who have ever been pregnant know, you can't hide that. Okay, so let's keep on going. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Look what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Why would he be afraid? Because, because his fiance was, was uh, a scandal. His fiance was disgraced. His fiance was, her reputation was shot. They would be, they would live, if he, if he continued with her, they would both live as outcasts. <laughs> because of what happened. But look what the angel says. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, don't be scared even though people are going to talk, man. People are going to talk and people are going to assume the worst. People are going to assume you're the father and you just disgraced and brought shame to your whole family, but you didn't want to admit it. You didn't want to tell it. You convinced her and conned her into, into, into not telling anybody either. And the, and the angel says, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid. She will give birth to a son, verse 21. And you are to give him the name Jesus. But again, he didn't hear Jesus. He heard Yehoshua, which is really important. Because, because when Joseph heard Yehoshua, he knew exactly who this kid was going to be. He didn't, need to, he didn't need to know the because. He already knew because. Because he knew, look, if this kid is supposed to be named Yehoshua, then that means the Lord is salvation. And that means that he's coming to save his people. That's what the angel says next. Because he will save his people. And, and Joseph's like, we all know this. We've all been waiting for centuries on the Messiah to come, the Savior to come in the spirit of Joshua, the Old Testament hero, a military conqueror who's going to rise up, make Israel powerful again, annihilate her enemy and set up and be a great nation again. And I get to be a part of it. My boy is going to be the king of Israel. So Joseph's excited, and the angel continues. He says, slow down, slow down, Joseph. You're, you're moving way too fast. You see, you're to give him the name Yehoshua because he will save his people from their sins. And I kind of see Joseph in that dream pausing, like, hold on, hold on, time out. Time, time out, angel. Wait a second. We, we don't need saved from our sins. We, we already have a very sophisticated system to deal with our sins. You see, Angel, I don't know if you know this or not, but when I sin, all I got to do is go down to Jerusalem, buy a lamb or a pigeon or a dove or something. I take it to the temple, they sacrifice it, and the blood of that animal covers my sin. 
We're good. We've got the law of Moses, angel. We don't need to be saved from our sins. We need to be saved from Rome. We need to be saved from oppression. We need to be saved from lack. We don't need to be saved from our sins. This is not the agenda we have for our Savior, angel. Because nobody had that agenda for the Messiah. But the angel, the angel insists, no, listen, your son will save the people from the thing they need saved from the most. You don't know it right now, Joseph. You don't see it. Your agenda isn't what God's agenda is. You don't, you don't see from God's perspective. But, but what you need to understand, Joseph, is that he will save the people from the thing they need saved from the most. So verse 24, when, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And you would have too, because an angel told you to do it. And when you get visited by an angel, you do what the angel says. You know what I mean? Like nobody's like, ah, never mind. I'm not going to listen to that. No, you do what the angel said. All right, let's jump back to Luke, Luke and finish out the Christmas story. Time goes by. Mary begins showing. She can't hide it anymore. She's, she's tried to wear big sweatpants and big sweatshirts, but she can't do it. And so, so it's real obvious now and people are talking. And who's going to believe this crazy story from this peasant couple anyway? So Luke says, verse 1 of chapter 2, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Jump down to verse 3, And everyone went to their own town to register. Now this is real important because Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth, but the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied centuries before that the Messiah would be born in a town called Bethlehem. So how, how is Mary and Joseph, who live in Nazareth and don't really can't like get to, to Bethlehem easily, how are they going to get there? So let, look what God does. This is amazing, okay? God elbows somebody in Caesar's cabinet, one of his advisors, and says, hey, Caesar needs to count his people. So the most powerful person on the planet is a pawn for God to use to get this couple to the town he needs them to be in. Isn't that cool? Here's what I want you to see. That means that, that God is working behind the scenes to get you in the place he needs to get you to do the thing in you that he wants to do. And so you might not see what he's doing right now. Mary and Joseph weren't aware that Caesar was getting ready to, to launch this census to get them to where they needed to be. But God was working behind the scenes in the background. And what I want you to hear this morning is God is working in your background. God is working behind the, behind the stage, behind the curtain. The curtain's closed on your life, and you don't feel like God's doing anything. But he's getting the stage set, so when he opens up the curtain, he's got your life structured in exactly the way to do the thing that he said he's going to do in you. And so God works that way. Verse 4, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And, and we know this like, picture, right? Like we all imagine Mary, you know, Joseph and Mary trekking through the badlands and the desert and the, the, hard, the hard trails. And she's on a donkey and he's leading her. You know where the donkey appears in the story? You know what verse the donkey's in? No verse. It's not there. We don't know. Maybe she was on a donkey. We, we have no idea. She might have been on a donkey. She might have been in a wagon, bumping along the whole time, shaking, fussing at Joseph because she's about to give birth to a baby and he's taking her on this trip. He, they, she might have had to walk. Ugh. We don't know. We, we, we don't know. We, we always have this picture of them all alone, you know, like in the nativity story, and they're all alone and they're fighting the elements. It's not true. Odds are, man, listen, if the whole, if everybody is 
going to their hometown to get counted, then they're, they're not alone. They're all kind of people traveling with them. It would have been crazy to go by themselves. But it was still a difficult journey. It was probably five, or five, five to eight days it would have taken for them to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem, depending on which way they went. And this was bad timing because, because Mary was about to pop, man. She was about to, to give birth to this baby. And you've got to imagine that, you know, when they find out, we've got to go to now? We can't wait a couple weeks? No, we've got to go now. Stupid See, And Mary's like probably fussing the whole time. Caesar, I can't believe Caesar making me go to Bethlehem. I'm pregnant. Didn't he know I'm pregnant? Joseph, you need to rub my feet. Joseph, you need to carry this pack. I'm tired of carrying. You know, so this is probably not an easy journey. You know what I'm saying? Joseph's given a lot of foot rubs and back rubs and massages and, and stuff. And so <laughs> keep on going. Verse 6, while they were there, they finally get to Bethlehem. The time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Why shepherds? Like, why not plumbers, you know? Why not plumbers down at the local pub getting a drink before they go home? No, we, we, we don't know. But here's what we know about shepherds. This is really cool, man. This is what I want you to see about the Christmas story because this blows my mind. Shepherds were always considered ceremonially unclean. What that means is that shepherds were never allowed to go into the temple. Because let's face it, if you follow sheep around all day, you're going to step in some stuff, right? And if you step in in sheep stuff, you're not going to be allowed to go into the holy place to offer a sacrifice to do anything in the religious system. So so keep in mind, shepherds had no access to the temple, to God or anything. And so when God decides to announce that his, his Savior is being born, he wants to make sure that the people who never had access to God are given a front row seat. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? Here, here God is finding the people who are least likely to participate in something like this. And he says, hey, I want you guys to come along because I want you to see this. And then look what, look what happens. An angel of the Lord appeared. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. And you would have been too. You know, you'd have, been, you'd have been petrified just like they were. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, shepherds. You guys who never thought you were included in the salvation story. You who thought you were beyond saving. You, who, who provided the sacrifices for everybody else to use, but were never allowed to step in and give your own sacrifice. You, to, to, to you, you who are outcasts, you who weren't included, a Savior has been born to you, and you're brought into the family. And the angel says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests, even shepherds. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. See, here's what you understand, need to understand. The Christian faith, the Christian tradition is not built on the Bible. It's not. It's built on something that actually happened. 
We are not Christians because we believe in a book. We are Christians because we believe that God put skin on and was born into this world and lived and died and rose again. We are not Christians because we believe in some writing. We are Christians because we believe that something actually happened, that God came in the form of a baby, which means no matter what you hear on CNN or no matter what you hear on on whatever news outlet that you might read or, or TV station you might watch, Christianity is not in trouble. Christianity is not fragile because it's not built on the writing of people. It's built on events that actually happened. It's built on the reality that God came. Now, people wrote about it because it was important. Because here's the thing. The only writings that survived uh, antiquity at this time were writings about, about important people. Uh, you know, uh, Caesars and, and leaders and officials. Not peasant couples born and kids born in caves. So, so if this was made up, we would make the story up better. To make it more impressive. Jesus would be born in a palace, not in a cave. He would have been. He would have been welcomed by. He would have been welcomed by Caesars and kings and princes, not by shepherds and sheep. So it tells us that this actually happened. That changed the world. So verse sixteen. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then maybe the most important verse in the whole story. Verse 19. But Mary, who got the message from the angel, who probably talked to Joseph and he told her, hey, I was visited by an angel too. And that's what they said. Okay, cool. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Because let's face it, who was going to believe this story? Who was going to believe this crazy reputation, shattered, trust, gone little girl? And her story. Now, Mary probably tried to raise Jesus as normal as she could, right? Like we see, we, we read stories about Jesus as a, as a kid in the temple and Mary fusses at him for kind of disappearing and she's like, I'm about my father's business. And she says, no, you need to stay with me. I don't care who you are, right? Which is cool, right? Because Jesus had to submit to his mama, which means you need to submit to your mama too and me too and all of us because that's kind of the way God designed it and Jesus had to. But then, then one day, 33 years later, Mary is at the foot of a cross and she's staring eyeball to eyeball at her son who's, who's, who's hanging on a cross and she watches him die. Now check this out. If anybody knows you're dead, it's your mom. Okay? All the stuff about, well, maybe he didn't really die. Maybe he fell asleep. Look, if your mama thinks you're dead and she's looking at you, then you're dead. You know what I mean? Like he died. His mom thought he died, so he died. She saw and watched him die and she watched him put him into the tomb. But then a few days later, those same eyes that looked at him bleeding and dying on a cross looked into an empty tomb and saw nothing except some folded up cloths where her son was laid down. And then later on, she looks eyeball to eyeball with her resurrected son. And in that moment, Mary knew that he was exactly who the angels foretold him to be. She knew that her son was the son of the Most High. When she looked at the, 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 the scars on his arms and his feet and she looked at his eyes, she knew that he was the Savior of the world, but she also knew that he was her Savior. That it was personal. 
that he came to not just save everyone, but he came to save her and you and you and all the yous. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they do a great job telling the story and, and, and summarizing it up. But I think John, in, in two little verses, summarizes the entire Christmas story better than anybody could. John's writing about this conversation that Jesus is having one night with the religious leader. And he's, he's, he's collecting his thoughts and he's telling about this, this, this moment that Jesus had with this guy. And he gets to this incredibly powerful moment. And I bet he never knew how often these words would be repeated. But, but he, he's got his pen and he's like, how, how, I want to I capture this conversation exactly like I have. And so, so he writes down and he says, John, John 3.16, this is the whole Christmas story right here in two verses. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in, whoever trusts in, whoever puts their weight on Him shall not perish, but has everlasting life. He says, he says, for God so loved the world that He gives that whoever, that whoever, you ever, 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 everyone, whoever, can, 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 you, can you imagine what it was like to be the guy who wrote those words? And then, and then he doesn't stop there. And so many times we stop there, but, but that's just the what. That's what happened. John 3.16 is what happened. John 3.17 is like the punctuation mark. The, the, it's, it's John saying, here's why it happened. Because this is, this is why we celebrate Christmas. That's the what. And here's the why. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send his son into the world to call everybody into the principal's office and sit them down and paddle them and tell them everything that they've done wrong. Just like, just like Joseph and Mary and the shepherds, when God showed up, they were filled with fear because they had assumptions about the character of God that God's wrath was going to be poured out on them. And John says he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He did, God did not send his son into the world to condemn you. He says, but to save the world through him. Friends, that's Christmas. That's Christmas. And that means that the angels were right all along to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds, that God sent a savior into the world to save us from the thing we needed saved from the most. And it wasn't them out there and it and that and outside of us. It was something going on inside. Which means, in spite of what you think you need this Christmas, in spite of the agenda that you have for God to fix the thing in your life that you think needs fixed, in spite of what you want Jesus to do in you, in spite of what you think it will, what, what, what you think needs to happen to make it better for you, God knows what you and I need more than anything this Christmas. We need a Savior to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from the darkness that's hiding in us. We need a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me pray for you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. 
Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.